This is the Franchise Radio Show, brought to you by Franchise Simply. Brian Keane here. Um, welcome, lovely to talk to you, glad you joined us. Today's a very special day for me. Uh, we've got someone that's made a difference to my life, and I've been trying to get them onto my show for the last three to four years, and today I've achieved it. This gentleman's name uh, is a mentor of mine, his name is Paul Blackburn, and the topic he's going to address is where he's helped me hugely, how to overcome your personal limitations. I might add, I didn't realise what mine were, um, but the help in removing them has been enormous. Paul's got a fascinating background. He's a veteran in the field he does. Um, he's not a conventional uh, therapist or psychologist. His background was a school teacher. He had enough of that, went into business where he had some failures, got uh, suffered from depression, um, and then did a course and realised that the field of mindset and human behaviour was really his calling. He's since had a list of, well, I'd love to have a client list like Paul's, uh, from Qantas and BHP to the Australian Institute of Sport. He's worked and had an impact on Olympians and sports champions and so on. So, uh, Paul, good day and welcome to you. Thank you for coming on our show today. Hi, Brian. How are you, mate? I'm, I'm extremely well. I don't know, did I cover you adequately or did I uh, compromise you? Uh, well, everything you said was true, but I reckon the longer the introduction, the worse it's going to be for the poor bugger who's getting introduced, so I'm glad it's over. Okay, fine, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I started working with you about four to five years ago, um, and more recently in more detail. Um, and what I'd like you to, I suppose I'll put my first big question is, what do you see with people in business is their biggest challenge? What is it that stops them achieving what they ultimately can do? Well, if we had to narrow it down to one thing, because I think that there are many things for us to grasp, but I, I think that um, the biggest problem that we have in business in Australia nowadays, particularly as it relates to people who may or may not be considering franchising, is the um, the willingness to make a call and get on with it. So uh, you might have heard of paralysis by analysis, you know, the whole concept of, oh, let me just check it again and I'll, I'll just check the whole field again and I'll do a bit more research and I'll see what else has changed out there. And, you know, with technology changing so quickly nowadays, there's always, you know, the likelihood that if I got online again, I could find out some more of what I didn't know before or what's new and what's latest. And so, um, you know, I think that... The biggest problem we face is that we don't realise that there are three decisions whenever we come to something. So we, uh, the obvious two are, you know, the right one and the wrong one. And we, we desperately want to make sure we don't make the wrong decision, especially when there's a lot of money involved or, uh, you know, could, there could be a divorce or there could be, you know, all sorts of terrible consequences of the wrong decision. So we don't want to make the wrong decision. Um, what we don't realise is that um, there's a third decision, which is to delay deciding. And it doesn't look like it's a decision because it's sort of we're looking at yes or no, um, black or white, um, good or bad, and we don't recognise this third decision, which is to not decide, and that's invariably the one that creates the most damage. If we were to say to your listeners, you know, of those three decisions, the right one, the wrong one, and no decision, which one's caused you the most grief, then the answer is going to be the no decision uh, is the one that's cost the most money, it's created the most emotional grief, it's, you know, um, yeah, it's the culprit. And, and yet, 
such a simple concept, you know. We, what most people don't realize is you can actually recover from the wrong decision. Uh, it's very difficult to recover from no decision. You know, I'm fond of saying you can marry the wrong person and that's relatively easy to fix. You just go to them and say, look, sorry, made a mistake. Um, this is a bit of a disaster. Um, how about we, uh, how about we split up and go our own separate ways and, you know, how about we don't have an ugly property settlement? How about we just split what we've got and get on with it? Um, and I say to crowds consistently, you know, look, where, from the time that you knew that the relationship was unrecoverable, how long until you did something, and anecdotally the evidence is five years. So, you know, that's five years of agony uh, when they knew it was over. And I imagine that in your field you get a similar kind of concept, you know. We've been thinking about franchising for four or five years or we've been considering about how we build a business for five years or, you know, why haven't you done something? Well, I don't know why I haven't done something. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I was young and impulsive. I went into business at 22. I needed 500 pounds, which I borrowed half of and just did it. And that would be my, I suppose, my habit. But later in life, I found I was balking. Um, and I think I see that with so many people. And you talk to them, they say, well, yeah, I've been planning. I've always wanted to do this. But they don't know why they haven't. They just say, because I'm not ready. Um, could you really What's behind that, Paul? Yeah, it's a feeling that I haven't got all the ducks in a row yet. You know, that whole kind of I'm not ready. Um, you'll hear it about, you know, um, you know, we have two daughters and I'm, you know, I'm 64, about to turn 65, and I'm pretty keen for them to have children. And I keep saying, you know, come on, Dar, what, what do you reckon? And, of course, I, what I get is I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And I go, well, when will you be bloody ready, mate? Like, you know, this kind of... What's got to change? And invariably, it's some bullshit thing like, you know, oh, well, when we get these bills out of the way or um, when when we get more settled, and I think, you know, more settled, you live where you live for a bloody long time, you've done what you've done for a bloody long time. I mean, one of my daughters, the one most, the one most likely to have children is the one who's married, <laughs> and, um, you know, she's been married to that guy nearly 10 years. So, like... I'm not ready. Hello. <laughs> um, what, what it does, it speaks to doubt. I, I'm experiencing self-doubt is probably the real thing we should say is I'm just experiencing self-doubt. And um, I'm hoping that that self-doubt, via some magical reason that I don't comprehend, is going to go away. So if I just, you know, wait another day or two or another week or two or another month or two or another year or two, um, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe then I'll be ready. And, of course, that's, that's enhanced by bloody Hollywood, mate, that gets in there and, you know, has people falling in love unexpectedly all the time and, you know, all sorts of things just kind of snap into place. Um, and so we're kind of expecting that, you know, the skies will part and a beam of light will come down and all of a sudden we're ready. So most successful business people did it before they were ready, long before they were ready. So we're saying here, in, in a number of respects, whether you're looking at personal relationships or you're looking at your own business or growing your business, really we're looking at the same symptoms, the same issues. Yes, because the funny thing about this is we're talking about people. So it's people who run and own businesses. It's people who run and own relationships. It's people who handle money. It's kind of like, you know, it's a funny thing. Once the robots take over, and they're telling me that's not going to be long, mate, until you and I are 
going to be in cars that don't have drivers. Um, once the robots take over and they start to handle your finances, we'll all be bloody wealthy, mate, because they'll just get 10% of your income and stick it into a superannuation fund and you'll end up wealthy. Presumably you can make some money between now and then. So um, that, that will be because, cho be because choice is removed. So what we do is we do things emotionally. So um, the reason why your average punter doesn't have 10% of every dollar they've ever earned uh, is not because it's not logical, it's because logic doesn't work. And so if we were trying to find logical reasons to do something, uh, we're going to be in trouble. In fact, the reverse is true. If logic actually worked with human beings, we'd, there would be no smokers. There would be no heroin addicts, there'd be no alcoholics, there'd be nobody getting in car smashes, there'd be no domestic violence, there'd be no uh, problems, you know. If logic worked, we would all just do what was logical and... Um, you know, our problems would be minimised. Obviously, logic um, fits into the picture somewhere. You know, we look at it and we go, oh, okay, so we can get a good interest rate on this loan or it makes sense to open up this store over here or whatever. Um, but, you know, the vast majority of high-end business people that I've dealt with, um, they go to logic second, they go to gut feel first. You know, they walk into a store and they go, this has got the right feel or the wrong feel. Um, they they look at a location and they go, this has got the right feel or the wrong feel. Uh, once they've decided that it's got, like, if it's got the wrong feel, they just walk away. Uh, once they've decided it's got the right feel, well, then they turn to logic and say, well, let's look at the numbers. So, so these people you refer to are people that have overcome this challenge and, and they are progressing and they say, I'm going to rely on my gut feel. I'm not going to sit here and do a spreadsheet full of calculations before I get started. I'm going to say go first. If it feels right by instinct, then they start doing more research. Is that what you're saying there? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's gut feel first, research second. Okay, so that's a really interesting concept. Um, I, I go back to myself and, you know, I retired and so forth and found I was a bit limited in what I felt I could do for no apparent reason. I've had 25 years and it was you that unlocked the key and actually went back to my childhood. Um, and I gather this is not unusual. So where do these things, what's the origins of these obstructions that we don't even know we've got for? Well, because you're brighter than the average person, mate, we can go back to your childhood, but a lot of people have no childhood, no memories of their childhood. So um, recently, in the last five years, psychologists have dumped the whole idea of going backwards in your life to find the problem. What we do now is we look for the evidence that remains. So, you know, as a 64-year-old, I've got behaviours that I struggle with that were established in my childhood for what, for whatever reason. You know, I was either had too good a life or not good enough life or whatever it is. Um, but we don't need to go back and find that. We just need to say, well, what, what do you want to change about yourself? Well, let's work on that. So... Psychology has kind of come out of the dark ages and we no longer go back looking for the reason why because if you can find the reason why, um, quite often it's, it's, it doesn't change anything. So, you know, I'm quite aware of the reasons why in my history, but so what? It doesn't, now that I know that my father struggled with, you know, his relationship with my mother and that's the source of everything, nothing's actually changed. I just know the reason why I behave badly now instead of how to behave differently. So, we focus now on how to behave differently, how to do the things that you need to do. And funnily enough, it all comes down to a very simple concept, and that's what we call self-parenting. 
which is how to get yourself to do the things that you need to do instead of doing the things that you want to do. Because if you do what you want to do, then, um, you know, life is going to be chips and chocolate and beer. Um, if you do what you need to do, then <laughs> it's less so. I'm not saying eliminate it, but, um, you know, if I, it, a parent will, will say to a child, you're not having potato chips for dinner. You know, that's, we're going to have something healthy. Uh, the child would let themselves have it. So in self-parenting, then the whole concept comes up, oh, what, what's in my best interest right now? What, what do I need long term? Because we say that if you can give yourself enough of what you need, you will end up having everything you want. But if you give yourself everything that you want, you'll never get anything that you need. And, you know, you and I are both maturing young men. And what we see is that um, had we behaved differently during the course of our lifetime, we, we might have more of what we need right now. Um, but, you know, we've had a lifetime full of what we want. Yes, yes. Gee, goodness me. Can't you see that when you go down the shopping mall? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose it manifests itself in the shopping mall and the cent and Centrelink. And... In lots of small networking business conferences, we see the same people again and again and again are at the same spot they were at last time you saw them and the time before and the time before. And these are the people that I'm interested in us, um, I suppose, talking to today. Um, now, we talk, we talk about then you've got to change whatever your activity is. I remember something I picked up from Tony Robbins years ago. I've listened to quite a, a bit of his stuff, never done his walking on coals or anything, but he said, you know, when you're disciplining yourself and you're about to have that chocolate or do whatever it is you do that you know you shouldn't be doing really, what you're going to do is look at what the outcome will be if you do and realise you're, you're not going to achieve your goals. So it's going to be a big expense to have that one extra pack of chips or bar of chocolate. Yeah. What, what's your sort of comments on that? Is that something... Is, what tools do you use for people to overcome these the, these lack of action, um, these the, these mindset uh, hurdles that they they've developed unknowingly? Um, there's a concept now that you know one of the most um, the fastest growth industry that I've been able to look at in the last ten years of it is a concept of having a personal coach, so someone who can hold you accountable, that kind of thing. So like a, uh, like a coach for a football team or a netball team, you know, um, a life coach uh, or a business coach or whatever is someone who's got, um, who's developed expertise, has some track record and can kind of get you to do the things that you need to do by saying do it or else. So it's really a question of accountability and being called to action and saying, well, you said you were going to do it, so where is it? So if I, you know, if we have to, say for example in, in some of your work, you've got some people looking at whether they're going to franchise their business or not or grow it to the next level or whatever it is and you say to them, well, we need to get the, these figures so we can look at what is your potential. You go back to the next meeting and say, well, did you get the figures? If they said no, then everyone's wasted their time. Invariably, they're going to have the numbers there because you're turning up to discuss that. As a, when I've coached people individually or, or in business, um, I will give them exercises to do. Quite often, we'll be sitting in a coffee shop and I'll say, how'd you go with that exercise that I sent to you three weeks ago? And they'll go, yeah, that was really good, you know. When I was doing it last night, blah, 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 blah. And what they mean is 
they didn't do it until they saw the meeting with me in their diary for tomorrow and they thought, holy moly, I better not have a drink tonight because I've got to do this thing and they've got to do this thing and, you know, when do they do it? So invariably I could have saved them three weeks by saying, let's meet again next week. Essentially it's really just, once again, it's very similar to parenting. It's kind of like, um, you know, there are very few words that really make a difference and one of them is accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you... When you learn about accountability, that you know, we do, we practice it well with other people, um, but really, it's so that we can become good at it ourselves. So that I can do something because I told myself I would, and I'll find it easy to stick to that because I've been practicing meeting my promises uh, to others. For example, you know, my my daughter, the daughter who's not pregnant. Um, at one time, she could swim two kilometres of butterfly non-stop, and for, for her to do that meant that we had to be up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get her to the pool at 6 in the morning so that she could do her hour and a half training. I would go off to the gym, etc., etc. Um, I'm not the kind of person who'd be up at 5 o'clock. That, to me, 5 o'clock is the middle of the night. And so um, when... But she had to be there five mornings a week. And so um, I would drag my ass out of bed and take her along. And we were talking about this recently because that was years ago. We were talking about recently. I said, Emma, you know, the number of times I didn't want to go, but I did because you wanted me to take you, um, I can't count. And she started to laugh. And I said, what are you laughing at? She said, Dad, the number of times I did not want to go, but I knew you'd got up to take me, so I had to. So there we were, being accountable to each other. Couldn't do it to ourselves. So we're practicing on other people so that we can do it to ourselves. You know, someone who can make small promises to themselves um, can and keep them, can start to make big promises to themselves and eventually um, that becomes a huge, a huge thing. I like that. I just think if you can make small promises to yourself, you can make big promises. So After a while, yeah. So is what's, what's the process for doing that? Because let's say you have become well-disciplined and you take your... You, you take your med, your multivitamin your in the morning and you, you brush your teeth before you go to bed. I mean, we're talking about simple things here. It's just a yep. number of them. How do you use that technique, that skill, to move it into the space of bigger things when you're looking at, at your business and then growing your business? If that's not too big a question. Yeah. Funnily enough, this has to do with self-esteem. So what, what when we're getting somebody off cigarettes, we don't... We, we don't get them to say, I'm never going to smoke again. It's too big. It's, it's beyond what they can comprehend. What we do is we say, well, can you go for the next hour? Now, that's fundamentally important because it's a small enough thing that they can say, all right, I can probably manage that. What happens is if they made a promise and they met the promise, they actually kept their word. And, you know, we might sit there with them while I go through that hour Um Getting fidgety and getting uncomfortable, all the rest of it, and just talking with them, just being with them, and you know, letting them understand that we're we don't have anything to offer, but we're we're prepared to just be with them while that happens. Same same with heroin. You know, we I've lost count of the number of heroin addicts that I've sat with uh, because that first hour is all it takes. Because if we can get through the first hour, we say, okay, promise met. Do you want to promise another hour? Now, most of them are going to go, oh, my God, that sounds like unbelievable, but, you know, I was going, okay, well, 59 minutes in. They go, okay. So, you know, you can actually get through a day doing that, and if you can get through one day, it's actually you've defeated, defeated the whole process because you can do the same the next day as long as you don't make the promise too big. 
eventually you can start to make the promise that rather than an hour, it's all day or it's half a day or whatever. So we build up the time or the level of commitment. You know, I'm going to save $5 a day. Most people could save 5 bucks a day, put in a tin somewhere and bank it. Um, once you've got a track record, you can bump it up to 10 bucks and 20 bucks and 30 bucks and 100 bucks or whatever. And of course, it'll be, it'll ask a bit more of you each time. It'll stretch you a little bit further. But you know, there's a whole pile of commitment that comes with it based on the previous hundreds of promises that have been made. So somebody stopping smoking was, you know, they, it might only take them a week, but they'll have made hundreds of promises. I, I, I love that. Um, I, I, I might just point out to our listeners here, Paul is not a highly qualified uh, university um, uh, psychologist or psychotherapist. He's learnt by his own initiative. Um, so he talks about life and experiences. And that's, I must say, a reason I like working with Paul. Paul, can you, you just give, give me a little viewpoint on that from the point of view of, because what I've seen is, not that I've been involved in, in a lot of that area, but having seen a bit of it, people in those, with those disciplines tend to stick to those disciplines. So they'll say, like a doctor, you've got to do this, you've got to stop now. Rather than say, you're 59 minutes, it makes sense. You're doing with what I've seen Seth Godin, I think, refer to as nudging. You know, it's doing mm. the time, because to say you're going to make a million bucks is not going to happen overnight, but if you progressively start on the journey and keep, yeah. keep, keep tuning yourself like the moonshot, then, then you're going to yep. achieve it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go back a little way. Um, you're right, I have no formal qualifications. Uh, in fact, the only tertiary qualification I have is a teaching certificate issued by the New South Wales Education Department in 1972, and I'm pretty sure it's out of date. So, um, but since then, what I've been looking at is what can I, what can I go and find out or what can I go and explore and, um, and experiment with, and then if I've had success myself, teach it to literally hundreds and hundreds of other people and see the vast majority of those people have it work. Now, I suppose you would call me a scientist. What I'm doing is I'm constantly looking, finding things, testing them out, but then seeing if when they're taught to literally hundreds and hundreds of people, do the vast majority of those people actually have it work or does it fail? And I've got to tell you, mate, there's not a lot of things that work. And so, yes, I'm, I'm super unqualified unless you look at the school of hard knocks. Uh, and I've had enough hard knocks from things that didn't work, um, to understand how valuable the things are that do. And like I said, there's not that many of them. So that's a background to that. Um, I'll forget the second part of your question. Uh, well, I suppose we, we, we're coming into that, that aspect of um, the, the techniques to achieve it um, from the point mm. of view. in business it's the same as if you're stopping smoking or you're, you're cutting out on your excessive alcohol you've got to those habits of continual of continual excuses I suppose yeah get the ball rolling um, I mean you did it you said you had failures in business I appreciate yeah. it share and that's what you've then created in your toolbox when you're working with other people. Um, but it's, yeah. in business, I mean, you've had experiences family-wise and so forth, relationship-wise, and these things all seem to 
come into the same pot pouring? They do come into the same because we're talking about human beings. So what we do is we look outside ourselves. We say, okay, I've got to find a superior system. You know, a better franchising model. Um, so we don't. We, we look at well, what's the best kind of franchising way to do it? Or you know, we look external to ourselves. We don't realise that if you take uh, an example of anything, um, let's say firemen, you pick you pick all the firemen in 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 a location, and let's say there's a thousand of them, then um, they will be spread across a horizontal line from the very successful to the bloody hopeless, and you know there's they're all spread along that line. So being a fireman is not actually the key thing to look at. The key thing is what, where would you end up on that line if you brought your current mindset to what you're doing? So I'm fond of saying to people, is, is being a plumber, is that a good business? That's actually a trick question. Most people go, yeah, plumbers make a fortune. And I go, no, wrong question. If we got all the plumbers in Australia and put them on a line from the one who makes the most money to the one making the least money, then the one making the least money is actually losing a fortune every day. And the one making the most money looks like they're printing money and they're all spread in between. Well, it's exactly the same for doctors and it's exactly the same for property developers and it's exactly the same for anybody in any franchise. We could get all the McDonald's franchisees in the world and spread them across a the line and there'd be some absolutely hopeless performers in there and some that are brilliant. And yet what they won't do is look at themselves. They go, oh, well, you know, that store didn't work because in the wrong location. I think, oh, spare me. You know, like, well, I actually had that particular organisation call me in to do some work. They'd had a store that was going gangbusters and the owner sold it because they were consolidating. So it was, they were keeping the cherry out of the whole lot and they were selling the others. And so, um, this store that was going gangbusters got sold to new operators. They came in and sales started to slide and, um, they slid so dramatically over a period of time that the, um, the new owners had to had to sell and had to get out. And so they got out and new owners came in and the store went back to where it was before. So same locations, same products, same 14-year-olds behind the counter, same everything. There's only one thing changed. And what that might have been, well, if you looked in the mirror, you'd see the problem when, when you're looking at that kind of thing. So... But we tend to not want to do that. We tend to want to look outside ourselves for systems and processes and whatever. And you'll know yourself, you know, that you've worked with people and you can tell from day one these people are going to struggle and others you're going to go, holy moly, can I keep up with them? They're going to go like a rocket. Um, and it's got nothing to do with you and your knowledge. It's got to do with them and how they're going to use it. And they're not smarter. They're not they might be braver. That's about the only thing they might be. They might have enough courage to actually listen to what you say and get on with it. Okay. Because, you know, those... Sorry, carry on. No, you're right. I was going to say, so this is where you come in, as I see it, is the people, okay, there are those top achievers there, the ones that you know, stand out you know, like a flag, um, but yep. the others that have got the ability and they're, they're mainstream or, 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 or down the lower end, what, what is it you bring to help them achieve the targets of what they can so they, so they can be something bigger than themselves, you know, which is one of the yeah. thoughts I always have in my mind. Um, it's more than just being John Brown. It's being, you know, what John Brown can extrapolate to do, the impact he can have on other people and other lives. So how do you get them to step through that hoop? 
Well, the first thing is to is to get them to realise the truth of the bit we just went through, which is about you know, it's 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 you. It's not the business. The business is a reflection of you. So, um, every you know, if you wanted to have a look at the state of your mindset, just look in your bank account. It'll tell you exactly where you are with finances and money. And if you look at how you feel about that, then I'm going to suggest that you've had that feeling about you and your finances for a long time. And you might have had several businesses. You might have had several different relationships. You might have had, you know, you might have been married several times and that feeling will be the same. Therefore, it's about you. So that, that's the first thing is to get people to look on the inside. And then the second thing, so, and that's quite a difficult thing is to convince people to look inwardly rather than outwardly because we've been trained to look for the solution external to ourselves. But for the people who do look inwardly, then there's a world of opportunity in there because most people who look in um, then say, oh, my God, I've realised how much, you know, how cactus I am. Um, what do I do? And they're the clients that I have that I can make the biggest differences with. The ones who say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And so I give them a list of things to do and they do. They get on with it and they have revolutionary experiences. They, um, you know, their lives turn around, their businesses turn around. Uh, they come and talk to me about what did I do to the 14-year-old because now the 14-year-old is a lot more pleasant to be with. You know, I had one guy um, employed 350 people and he said to me, he said, look, the problem is not me. The problem is these 350 lazy bastards who work in my place. And I said, okay, well, since they're not here, I can't deal with them, so how about we just deal with you? So we spent the weekend in one of my courses and... Um, off he went and he came back a couple of weeks later and he said, those 350 people, he said, did you go down there and see them? I said, why? He said, they've all changed. They're all, they're all a lot more positive. They're all a lot better. They're all a lot happier. You know, they're all working harder. Da, da, da. I said, yeah, well, there you go. We just sprayed some chemical in the, inside the factory and it changed automatically. It's either that or it was you, buddy. So he said, we'd been visiting at night and spraying the, <laughs> spraying the place. So, you know, it's, it, it's just such a classic example. We can quite often be staring the truth in the face and say that it's not the truth. No, we're all, I know, I, in, 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 yeah. I, I know that being defensive is certainly one of my default sort of moves, you know. It's very easy to come up with excuses and it's lovely if you can point the bone at somebody else. Yes, it is. <laughs> because then, not only is the focus off you, but you can get angry with them. <laughs> so you can, you can, uh, you know, you can waste a lot of energy, uh, and that's a lovely thing to do is blow a whole pile of energy on some dickhead who's ruined your life, yeah. And then, of course, you're, you're, you're blowing your, your, your business investment, and before you know it, you haven't got the cash flow there to really expand and do the things you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it's never your fault. Absolutely, absolutely. And, it, well, it's not. It's, yeah, it's, it's the circumstances around you, isn't it? It's, it's all those things that are wrong with the economy, it's Uber, yeah. uh, you know, it's yeah. and all that sort of thing. And because that's what I love is this disruptive economy. We're in the middle of a world that's changing so rapidly that hey, if you don't, if you don't put on a new suit of clothes, you're going to be right out of touch. And it's applying to businesses that never thought they would go other than be mainstream and safe for the rest of their lives. And uh, um, I suppose the yeah. example that we've been incredibly slow over the last 25 years to actually adapt to it. So. Um, that's an area that I know you're conscious of because it has an impact on your business. What, what, what's your reaction to 
the disruptive industries, the Ubers and so forth, so looking into the future. Because your mindset is going to take it on and say, hey, things are changing, I've got to change. Yeah. Well, um, it, it's, a, it's a horrifying thing to think that the only constant in the universe is change, and yet what is the thing that human beings are the most resistant to? It's change. So we resist just for the sake of resisting simply because we haven't wrapped our brain around the new model yet. But trust me, a lot of people have wrapped their brain around the new model and they've jumped with both feet. So you look at Uber and you go, you know, the taxi industry said, just stop them, just stop them. It's, you know, just, just stop them. And, you know, <laughs> meanwhile, there were people who thought, hang on, I've got a car I'm not using. Um, I'm between jobs, but I'll go and sign up with Uber and I'll drive some people around. There are other people who are going, you know what, I'm sick of getting in a smelly taxi with someone who can't speak English. Uh, I could get in a car that's nice and clean, and da 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 I don't mind paying a few bucks extra. In the beginning, Uber was cheaper than catching a taxi, but now they've got with their what they charge, it costs more. But I don't think too many people care because we've always been willing to pay con for convenience and for things being nice around us. So, um, you know, the the Seven Eleven corner shop in inside the city, you know, you go into a major city and there's one of those shops every 100 metres. How come we, we go in there and we buy a Mars bar and we pay double the price for the, the confectionery that we would pay anywhere else, but why do we pay it willingly? Because of the convenience. So what Uber's done is they've run with the convenience model, but so is Airbnb. And so there's a whole bunch of people saying, oh, who would let strangers into their house? Well, we don't actually need to know the answer to that question. We just want to know, are you going to do it or not? Because Airbnb has got like millions and millions of people who go on, what a good idea. So then there's millions of travellers saying, what a good idea. So they're getting together. And I see one of the, one of the most enduring um, and fascinating models at the moment is um, there's really no difference between um, Airbnb and Uber, what they're doing is there's a platform in the middle between the customers and the providers of the product or service. That's all it is, is a platform in the middle. Remove the middleman. And so the people who are complaining are the middlemen. So everybody else is getting on with it. So um, nowadays you either change with the times, just you either embrace the disruptive technologies or you become a dinosaur. And, you know, in my language, um, never have you been able to go from rooster to feather duster quicker than you can today. Right. Simply because some some twenty three year old is going to invent some bloody thing that makes you redundant. Right. Look, and that's I suppose a little bit behind my motivation for getting you here to talk today is 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 helping how you can help people move from rooster to uh, to king of the flock. I suppose. So yep. Make that move to grow beyond your chicken coop. And uh, yep. in, in covering our uh, discussion this morning, we've, we've, we've sort of touched on the, the fact that it comes down to, you know, personal limitations, our, you know, our, our own limitations as far as that's concerned, um, our, our mindset and our self-esteem and decision-making, the fact that, you know, as you said, three decisions. Is it right? Is it wrong? Or the third one is make no decision. Um, how can you help people, I suppose, have themselves ready, be fit, if we put it in gymnastic terms, to embrace the growth of their business that they've got to achieve? Otherwise, 
they're probably going to go backwards. Well, um, interesting. I'm going to use my own business as an example, if that's okay with you. Um, what's happened is that for 32 years, I've taught people live in workshops and We've done pretty well at that, you know. I'm not ashamed to say that we've got, uh, we do eight figures a year. So, you know, if you want to put the number one and a comma, uh, well, don't put the comma, put the number one and then you put uh, seven zeros after that, then that's what we're being, that's the kind of volume we've done off my personality live in workshops for a number of years now. And, um, you know, I'm the first to admit that we flogged that model to death and what I mean by that is that I'm the major problem with it because getting to the next level means, you know, here we are, we've got this key man, so uh, that's a bit crazy. So I would rather not have that volume uh, and all of the things that go with it in exchange for a much more modern business. So we spent the last 12 months turning ourselves into a provider of digital education so that rather than have a market that I can get to wherever I can get into a conference room and be live, we can have a worldwide market. And it's do that or become a dinosaur. So, you know, perhaps it's turning 64 or 65 that's helped me to realise maybe flying around the world, um, you know, admittedly it's business class and it's lovely and all the rest of it. It's a lot of work, a lot of time away from home. It's a, it's a lot of personal effort and, you know, all that sort of stuff, um, the digital world makes it possible for us to earn an income online, whether I'm awake or whether I'm asleep. Uh, to me, that's not a question of whether I want to do that or not. That's a question of whether whether I'm stupid enough to keep with the old model or perhaps I would like to wake up and step into the 21st century and start to do what I've done online. Uh, of course, it'll be different. And so... Uh, what that means is that um, we've spent 12 months doing that, and so now we've got a, a vast online educational library uh, in this field, in the field of personal development. So we don't teach people how to use computers. We don't teach them how to um, do any particular skill. All of our stuff is focused inwardly, so how to develop self-esteem and how to be more confident, those kind of things. And people can get sequenced lessons that come to them, they're full of video and audio and text and all that sort of stuff. So that revolution became necessary uh, simply because I was, um, I think I'd had too many glasses of red one time and I said to my other daughter, the one who's not even married yet, um, I said to her, honey, how would you like to run this company? And she said, well, I wouldn't because you're the key man. I go, but you're my daughter, you love me. She goes, I'm your daughter, I love you, but I, you've got a shit company. I go, thanks. <laughs> this is a company that's provided you with a pretty magnificent lifestyle. She said, yes, it's done really well, but it's a shit company because it's all set up wrong, blah, 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 blah. So I said, okay, you're in charge. Tell me what to do. And from that day, there's been this march into the digital world that she's propelled, and that's it's driven by her because, you know, she's got her working life in front of her and she realises that one day I'm going to shuffle off this mortal coil and she doesn't want her business to go with me. So she'll have a business that's um, second-generation business uh, when, when I'm said and done because uh, I can't see myself retiring. That seemed like an odd thing. Um, so, you know... It's, it's, it, she's self-motivated, she's doing it in her own interest, but um, she's brought us into the the new century. And, you know, I can't say I did not kick and scream along the way, but I have come to my senses 
during that time. So we've gone digital, and I think everybody has to. Paul, it's been a magnificent conversation. I've dragged you all over the place. We've touched base on a whole heap of things. <laughs> I've got more questions, but they're for another day. Um, what I'd like to do is really thank you very much indeed. Now, I, I did prime you beforehand. I always like to leave people with something. Um, is there something for listeners that they can uh, they can access to, to to learn a little bit more about about you and what you do and perhaps how they can help you? Sure. Sure. If they, I've got a page that they can go to. So um, this is a link, uh, which if they type it into um, their search engine, they'll come up with my book, which they can have for free, oh. uh, which we have recently digitised. So uh, it's the textbook for my course. So um, they can actually do the course just by reading the book. Um, many people will want to do that, and that's plenty. Others might want to go further with it, but they can suit themselves about that. But the book is a few hundred pages of how this stuff works. So the link is, um, we've got one of those short links. So it's uh, B for Barry, I for Ivan, T for Tom, dot, L for Larry, Y for Yellow, forward slash, Paul with a capital P, that's capital P-A-U-L, mm -hmm. hyphen, capital B. Right, so it's capital B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash capital P, A-U-L hyphen B. Yep. Okay. Now, the first the first one, the bit, the B-I-T, that does not have a capital. Okay. That's, a, that's lowercase. And the last B, Paul B, as in Paul Blackburn, so it's Paul hyphen capital B. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll type that on the, on the information as that's available, people. Paul, Sweet. thank you very much. Um, you're really entertaining, you're resourced, you've got a huge amount of knowledge, it's delightful to hear from you. I hope everyone's really enjoyed this and I hope you've been taking lots of notes. My, my advice to most of you would have played this back again um, and uh, I think you'll get a lot from it because there's lots of little gems in there and I think a mirror in front of you while you do it is probably going to help. <laughs> right. Paul Blackburn, thank you very much indeed, it's been a delight. I look forward to speaking to you again, Paul, and to everyone else. And please, if you have questions of Paul or of me, please don't hesitate to get in touch with our 1300 number or our email address. Thanks very much and goodbye. Bye. Welcome to the Franchise